are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm also good. Doing um, lots of reading. Yes. Apparently, my my not motive. That's the wrong word. My my formula is half a bottle for poetry, half a bottle for the book. Okay. Although I'm gonna try to cut it down to like quarter for the poetry and three quarters for the book because the book episodes are always really long. Well, that's what I'm doing. So. Well, this bottle seems to be bigger than most bottles. I know that's not true because it's 750 right here, but like. Right, but it seems bigger. It seems bigger because it's more like a like a liquor bottle. Then it looks more like a liquor bottle than it does a wine bottle. Wait, are you ready? You want to hear this? Ready? Yeah, let's go. Nice. <laughs> Hang on, I gotta, I gotta put it back in the ice bucket, which is gonna be loud. So give me a second. Okay. <laughs> so does everybody have their wine? Are you guys ready? We'll wait here while you get your wine. Yes. And I'll munch on my popcorn. <laughs> yeah, I indulged myself at Publix today and got a York peppermint patty, like the the guilty pleasure ones that are like right by the cash register. Yes. The ones that are yes. marked up by like three hundred percent. I got one of those. Yes. Excellent. Amazing. I saw a tweet today that was like, still can't get over the fact that America, Americans just decided they were sick of COVID-19 and like decided it was over. It's true. I'm waiting for the second wave. I'm not going out until the second wave hits and then we'll reconvene from there. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about a book. (laughs) And we're going to, we're going to slowly merge into architecture. (laughs) Um, why don't we tell them what we're drinking? I know that they're gonna hear it again next week because we're doing pot we're doing like um a double poetry on yeah we are drinking um behringer brothers tequila barrel aged sauvignon blanc um which like i'm pretty sure behringer is like a pretty isn't it one of those like you know how, like, there's, like, Sutter Home, <laughs> and there's, like, you know. Oh, you're saying Behringer is, like, an established name. Yes, yeah. I would agree. I don't know if it's all the same family, or if it's I think I name. think this is just, like, they're doing, like, you know how Apothic did the Inferno, like, Apothic has Apothic Inferno, and Apothic, like, coffee, or Apothic, like, they do stuff where they age it, or mix it with other things. I think this is Behringer's version of that. Okay. Where they're, they, like, they aged it in a tequila barrel, so they changed the bottle shape, and they, that'd be an interesting marketing thing. I'm gonna look at that. Yeah, um, write, write that down. I could write that, and I'm writing that down right now. Hang on. I will forget about it if I, if I don't write it down. Oh, yeah. I've got, like, um, a, in the notes app, I have, like, a note that's just, like, research ideas, and as I come up with them, it's, like, ten, ten things long. Marketing management blog ideas. It's literally its own list. I already have a couple. Okay, so wine bottles and aging in barrels. Okay, um, back to this. So I'm pretty sure this is like the Behringer version of like, we're going to age it in something interesting and it's going to give it some extra flavor and increase the alcohol content. Because like most wine I think is around like, 11% and this is 15.1 yeah yeah um and so it's like a little higher in its alcohol content um and then it's it's in like a different shape bottle I don't know we picked it because it looks um it just the look 
is very on brand with like the World's Fair. Yes, it is. The, the bottle looks interesting. Mm-hmm. It's got an old black and white photo. Um, and it's like the Behringer Brothers almost looks like it could be like a font for a, like a circus. And when you think about like the World's Fair, the World's Fair was almost like a giant circus, but also an exhibit and museum and stuff, you know? It was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot to handle. This book was a lot to handle. I this book took me things. like six weeks to read. This is, yeah, this is one, this is a book that took me, well, it took me the longest to get through part two and three, but once I got to four, it was like pretty quick. But yeah, this, it took me. Part one and two book. took me the longest. Yeah. Um, before we move on, the yes. wine is very good. It's, it's like smooth, but it's also like a little bit sharp, like citrusy. Um, I'm going to read the back of it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It says, Behringer Brothers honors the journey of Jacob and Frederick Behringer to a young America, where they opened a winery that still stands over 140 years later. Fifth-generation winemaker Mark Behringer revives their tradition of maturing Behringer wine in spirit barrels. This Sauvignon Blanc, aged 60 days in tequila barrels, is bursting with bright lemon, fresh herbs, and a long, rich finish. And I think the last line is very, very accurate. It is yes. tangy and rich and has a long finish. It's a good, it, like, heavy white. Yeah, it really reminds me, which, like, is good because I think um, this category technically should have been a crisp white, but, like, this book was kind of complicated and we were both really surprised to see that we were supposed to be drinking white, like, when we talked about this It didn't feel like a book. white book. It felt like a red book. It did. It did. But... I'd say this is, like, a good compromise between, like, that crisp white and, like, that heavy kind of red feel of the book. Right. It's, like, it's almost like a light red or a heavy white. It's it's the perfect combination of substance and flash. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I know you don't have a ton of quotes or a ton of, like, notes. I have three and a half pages of a Word document. Oh my shit. Okay. I don't have to. We don't have, have to do all of it. We don't have to do all of it. Because <laughs> a lot of it is just, how is this guy not dead? <laughs> or, how many storms are we going to have? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, we can start with quotes. I do. I have one quote. I have two. I have, qu- I have three. I lied. I have three quotes. Beautiful. I have three. My first one's on 35. My first one's on 15. You go, girl. Um. So. There's a point where they say they want to out Eiffel Eiffel because <laughs> yes they well, wait, um, um, before we start do you want to give a quick synopsis of the book oh yeah <laughs> I can do that I, sorry guys we started early with the wine yeah we um, did so we are talking about the devil in the white city um murder that's magic the first time. and madness at that's the fair the that changed America that's the first time we stated the title of the book in this episode. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay, go. The Devil in the White City, Murder, Magic, and Madness at the Fair that Changed America by Eric Larson. And um, <clears throat> I'll read you the back. Mm-hmm. So, um, bringing Chicago circa 1893 to vivid life, Eric Larson's spellbinding bestseller intertwines the true tale of two men, the brilliant architect behind the legendary 1893 World's Fair, striving to secure America's place in the world, and the cunning serial killer who used the fair to lure his victims to their death. Combining meticulous research with nail-biting storytelling, 
Eric Larson has created a narrative with all the wonder of newly discovered history and the thrills of the best fiction. Before we before we start, yeah, I want your overall impression. Well, I do you want me to read you my Goodreads review because that would be my overall impression. Yes, I do. Okay, and I can pull mine up too because I okay. I think I've I think I wrote one. I wrote one today when I realized I did not write one. <laughs> I gave it three. <laughs> I gave it three stars. This was one of those times. If it had half points, I'd give it three and a half. Fair. All right. My review is: If you're an information hoarder, a trivia fiend, and or someone with a lot of time on their hands, then this book is for you. Larson litters his writing with details the reader wonders how he even came to know. While informative, witty, and at times both dark and hilarious, I know more about concrete and soil than I ever thought I would in my entire life. H.H. <laughs> Holmes was conniving, threatening, intelligent beyond all odds, and above all, murderous. To be honest, I would not be interested in this book without his story. Larson does an excellent job at bringing together dichotomous and completely opposite storylines into a cohesive tome. Am I glad I read it? Yes. Would I read this again? Well, let's just say I'm not saving a space for it in the front row of my bookshelf. And that's my review. I like it. It I was like good, it. and it was also a lot, and I recommend it, but only if you're up for the task. Yes. I identify with everything you just said. And right. I realize I did not write my own review because I was at the lake house when I finished this book, uh, so yeah. I, I didn't have a ton of internet connections, so... Um, but... I did, when I marked it as read, I saw a couple reviews that really, like, I felt really encapsulated how I felt. So I'm going to read you one by Jason. Um, Jason, who are you? I'm okay. just going to say Jason. Jason works. <laughs> Jason. Well, it's not, okay. Jason's review. This book is two, two, two books in one. Sorry, that was annoying. But it's almost as if Eric Larson wrote two really short books, one about the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition and another about the murder spree of Dr. H.H. H. Holmes, and then shoved them together to create a single story. The result isn't bad, and I think Larson is successful at maintaining clean seams between the two narratives, but it's hard to argue these two occurrences are anything but abstractly related. Yes, Holmes lived in Chicago at the time of the fair and lured a bunch of people to his murder castle. He'd be snatching your people up. But the events didn't weigh heavily on the fair itself or on the atmosphere surrounding it. No alarm bells went off anywhere in Chicago as a result of his um, unsavory indiscretions. Still, there's a lot, of un a lot of interesting stuff here, information specific to the World's Fair, and it is fun to learn new things. For example, the Chicago Columbian Exposition ex exudes a long list of firsts. It saw the invention of the world's first Ferris wheel, it led the nation in its first public observance of the Pledge of Allegiance, and it helped to establish alternating current as the industry standard for electricity distribution. Even that awful snake charmer song had its origins in the Chicago World's Fair. <laughs> Sorry. And then the last I didn't I didn't see this part before I started reading this, but the you last stopped, paragraph you stopped says, the picture, right? Cuz that's what Yeah, I, I did. Stopped. And then it says, "While writing this review, I've come to learn that Leonardo DiCaprio, that beautiful man with the screaming cherry tomato head on a toothpick body, is producing the film adaptation and will also play the role of serial killer H.H. H. Holmes. For this I am pleased." I agree. I am pleased. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm excited to watch the movie. Yes. That, that, I just, that, oh, the whole idea of, like, Eric Larson wrote two books and then, like, 
smush them together. Almost like two and a half, because it's like you have you have the fair and you have Holmes, but then you also have Frank Prendergast. Frank Who is a fucking wild person. We'll is get Frank, to that. right? Is Frank What's his first name? I don't know. I only ever wrote I don't think it's Frank. I went to high school with a Frankie Prendergast. Uh, I think that's... It's Patrick. Patrick Prendergast. Take out the Frank Prendergast part. Okay. Um, Patrick Prendergast who killed the mayor. Patrick Prendergast who killed the mayor. And that felt wildly unrelated to me. I don't... Like, he was not well, but, like, it, it just felt very disconnected well, from the rest of it to me. I agree, but I also understand why Larson I understand why Larson added it because Mayor Harrison had a lot to do with the World's Fair and to not include his assassin would be a grossly overlooked detail. But you can't Fair. include his assassin without including more background about his assassin. I don't know that you needed so much background, though. I almost feel like, like, you could have been, I don't know. I I get it, because, like, I see that, like, he included those chapters to kind of build the suspense, because, like, Harrison's assassination is why the World's Fair didn't have a closing ceremony. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's a big deal. That's central to the part of the World's Fair. But, like, I don't know. I Every time it came up, I was like, who is this person? Why are I, we talking about him? I, I do agree. It seemed off kilter. But I personally, I am. it added that kick in the butt I needed to keep reading. Like, Because at times I was like, I don't care about what kind of concrete you poured. But Prendergast and H.H. Holmes was the reason I finished this book. Fair. Turns out I don't actually care about the World's Fair. Glad I know more about it. But if this book was only on the World's Fair, I wouldn't give a shit. I wouldn't have read it. Yeah. Although, I learned a lot of interesting things. There I were did. a couple points yes. where I came out of my room where I was like, I was reading in the guest bedroom, and I'd come out and be like, Adam, did you know that the World's Fair did this? And he'd be like, no. I was like, right? Well, it did! <laughs> Which is a great side effect to this podcast is that we read things we would never have read in the first place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remembered halfway through this book that I was supposed to read it in high school and do a book report on it, and I read, like, the first three chapters and gave up. That's the greatest story <laughs> I've ever read. I That is similar to when my <laughs> AP Lit teacher told us to read um, Moby Dick. So I read the I, – I opened it up, and it said, call me Ishmael, and there was a footnote. And then I saw the footnote was three paragraphs, and then I never read more of the book. I closed it and <laughs> gave it away. The first sentence of this book has three paragraphs yeah. in the footnotes. If, I'm not about that. If the first sentence has a footnote, I, this is not the book for me. No, absolutely and I, not. I'm a big fan of footnotes because I love info, but good God, sir, please stop. Good God, sir. Um, all right. So my first quote is on page 15. It says, yeah. out Eiffel Eiffel. That's literally all I wrote was just out Eiffel Eiffel. And then I wrote... This is the epitome of American arrogance and pride. Oh, God, it's true. We have to, we have to be bigger, and we have to be the best, and we have to we be We gotta first. be better than Eiffel. We gotta be bigger than Eiffel. Yeah. You know that giant iron thing they put in Paris? We gotta outdo that. Like, And you know what? They didn't. <laughs> I gotta be honest. <laughs> I, arguably, though, arguably the Ferris wheel, the invention of the Ferris wheel, can you imagine how 
Like, if you had never seen a Ferris wheel before, and it was the first time, and, like, nobody had ever ridden one, nobody had ever seen one. you're right. It's true. It's more architecturally fascinating, interesting, and difficult. But the But it's less unique. Yes. That's that's the difference. So I think on an architectural side, or no, on the engineering side, they did uh, out Eiffel, Eiffel. But Mm -hmm. as far as important structures in global history, they failed. Exactly. But you know what is interesting to me? I don't think it would be that way if it weren't for the fact that Ferris, like, was bad with money. Because Ferris, the guy who created the Ferris wheel, they say this in the book, like, towards the end, where he's, like, he hits some financial hardships and he has to start selling the rights to the Ferris wheel. And that's why they're so prevalent. That's why they're at, like, the Ferris wheel and the Midway are, like, staples of every Mm -hmm. fair. County fair, state fair, no matter where you go and there's a fair, you got a Midway, you got a Ferris wheel. And, like, you wouldn't have that if Ferris hadn't been bad with money. So if you think he wasn't bad with money, do you think the Ferris wheel would have stayed where it is, like the Eiffel Tower? What do you think would have happened instead? I don't think it would have stayed, but I think it would have been more prestigious. They could have, like, from a marketing perspective, they could have rebranded it, and they could have been like, this is, like, an engineering marvel, and, like, nobody can remake this without the original blueprints, and the maker was a genius, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I mean, I, it's true, because I, well, (laughs) I, I'm not putting a lot of faith in the American people here, but I doubt that people know, well, okay, I would say that a lot of people would know that Eiffel Tower is came from a person mm-hmm. more than they would know that the Ferris wheel came from a person. Like, Ferris is a name and Eiffel is a name. I think they would be more quick to attribute a name to um, the Eiffel Tower than they would to the Ferris wheel. But probably because of, like you said, it's not prestigious. It, they didn't out Eiffel the Eiffel in that manner. Mm-hmm. But also, Americans are dumb. Yes. Like, you've seen those yes, videos where it's like, how many world wars have we had? And the girl's like, four! And you just want to kill yourself. <laughs> no! <laughs> oh, oh yeah. God! Yeah, this girl's oh, like, I don't know, like, four or five. And I was like, you should just stop doing anything that you're doing. Please go to college. <laughs> my, my favorite are the ones where it's like, would you like to end women's suffrage? And they're like, oh my god, yeah, I don't want women to suffer. And you're like, that's oh not what that god. means. <laughs> oh god, that one hurts. No, we don't want to end women's suffrage. That's not what... Sign of <sighs> my petition to end women's suffrage. Yeah, women should not be suffering. God, oh people my god. are the dumbest. It's like, people have both never been smarter ever and have never been more dumb at the yes. same time correct but is it relative i wonder if it has to be that way because the more smart the population is overall the margin of being dumb is just exponented exponentiated ex (laughs) multiplied (laughs) either of those words exponentiated um okay my next quote is on 33 okay i just thought it was a cool quote it says It could be done because it had to be done, but the challenge was monstrous. This was, like, about building the World's Fair, where they were like, we can do it because we gotta do it, but, like, can we do it? You know? That's me writing my thesis. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I can do it because I have to, but can I? <laughs> there we are. Any graduate exactly. student knows, you know. Yes. <sighs> All right. My quote's mm-hmm. on page 35. Okay, go ahead. Quote, great murderers like great men in other wake of life have blue eyes. Oh, I have a note about this, but it wasn't a quote. Yeah, go ahead. It turns out I looked it up. And they actually don't. Most serial killers have brown eyes. But I would like to say that it's probably just a scientific necessity because brown eyes are dominant. Therefore, they're more likely to exist in the first place. Mm-hmm. My note just says, LOL, okay, so all murderers have blue eyes. Good to know. Except for Bundy! <laughs> <laughs> What's your next quote? Um, not for a while. Not until... Mm. Mine's on 86, and that's no, my last quote. No, you go. Mine's not until page 300-something. Um, 86, um, this is when Holmes marries his first wife, who, like, I'm surprised he never killed her. My quote here is that he filled the house with love. And I said, filled the house with love, my ass. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe he, maybe he did fill his first wife's house with love. And then he was like, JK. Also, I don't think that he killed her because she lived to be 61, and that's not in his M.O. I think that was, like, more his... He was practicing getting close to women. Yes, practicing his charm. It was like he was ramping up. Conversation, which was one of the reasons I really draw a big parallel between him and Ted Bundy. It was both the charming, at ease, never stressed, easy to talk to, calming aura at all times. I have a I have a couple notes in here that mention Bundy, where it's like he really he also really reminds me of Bundy. Which like I looked up what H.S. Holmes looked like. I don't think he was that handsome. Was he oh, handsome? I didn't let me see. I didn't even think to do that. Well, you have to also think of the times. I know, but like he's got a weird creepy mustache and like I don't he, know. I will say, He'd probably be handsome for the time. I was going to say, if you remove the mustache and tweeze his eyebrows, he looks like someone, he he looks like he'd be a famous, attractive actor in this age. I would consider him attractive for that time. My quote's on page 286. Okay. This is when Susan B. Anthony was approached about her opinion to leave the fair open on Sundays, because some people Mm -hmm. were like, it's a holy day. She was asked... Would she prefer bringing her son to a Buffalo Bill show on Sunday instead of church? And she said, quote, yes, he would learn far more. <laughs> and I had to write that down because I I agree. Like, mm-hmm. Buffalo Bill's show was informative. That was the whole point of, I mean, he wasn't a part of the World's Fair. It was off, and he had his own admission, like, pay stub. But he probably would learn more than at a fucking church. Mm-hmm. My bias is maybe mm-hmm. showing through. But as someone who went to church and learned nothing, go to go to Buffalo Bill Show. <laughs> well, Buffalo Bill Show was meant to, like, I don't know. I bet it taught people about, like, what was happening in the on the frontier at the time. Yes. You know? And I think that was necessary like, because unless you were there, no one knew. Church is more about teaching morals and abstract things through stories. So the historical significance of like the stories that the bible teaches are arguable whereas like what was happening on the frontier quantifiable definitely things yes happened. yeah my next quote is on 326 okay you're still before me so go ahead okay quote oh, wait yes. is it about ben what's his face 
Are you talking about Patrick? Wait, Ben. Mm, I don't. Okay, know never ben. mind. Go ahead. Oh, Three Ben Pietzel. It is about Pietzel. Is that that's okay. how I'm pronouncing it? Do you think that that's right? I said Pietzel. Pietzel. Okay, I'll go with Pietzel. It's P I E, right? Yes. Or is P I E? No, P I E T Z, like pretzel, but pretzel. Just before leaving Chicago, H. H. Holmes acquired a life insurance policy to insure Pitzel's life for ten thousand dollars. And I put, "Damn son, you're gonna kill your own right hand man." Like Pitzel was down with anything Holmes wanted to do. Like I have a note on this page. He was his like hunchman. Like I wrote, I wrote, dude, he's gonna turn on the one guy he's had in on this with him. Fucking diabolical. But like, do did you expect that? Because I fucking didn't. Because even as a serial killer, I would want one person to trust. One. It doesn't surprise me, to be honest. Okay. Like, I kind of thought he'd kill him much sooner than he did, actually. Um, but I will say it surprised me in the sense that, like, once we passed a certain threshold and Peitzel was still in on it with him, I was like, okay, so maybe he's going to keep this guy around. But when he was like, he took out a, a life insurance policy on him. I was like, what the fuck, dude? Like, right? And it's, it's, it's interesting. Maybe we can talk about this, like, later, a bit later on. But H.H. Holmes didn't seem to have an M.O. Not really. He just wanted to kill people. Which is, yeah, he said he was, like, born with a devil on him. And he can't help killing as much as a poet can't help singing or some shit. My next quote's on page 332. Okay, so the quote is, the fair had begun with death, and it had ended with death. And those deaths they're talking about is uh, Root. Um, Burnham? Is that his mm-hmm. name? Yeah. Burnham's right hand. So Burnham, for the listeners who maybe didn't read the book, Daniel Burnham was, like, the world's fair's director. He did, mm-hmm. he was in charge of all the shit, and he is mostly, it's H.H. H. Holmes, and Burnham is basically who this book is about. Mm-hmm. And Root was Burnham's partner who died just before the world's, the World's Fair was voted to be in Chicago, and then Root died. So he didn't get to see any of the architecture or the plans. It and was, like, it was like voted to be in Chicago, and then they put Root and Burnham's firm in charge of it, and then right. Root died. Right. I was Which like, dude! It's awful. Um, yeah. But, so it had begun with death, and then it had ended with death, and that is with the, assass- the assassination of Mayor Harrison by Patrick Prendergast. Um, so... I just really like the quote. I thought it, I, I just liked it. It's true that it had begun with death and ended with death. And I think that is. It's a is, good quote. It, it really punctuates the severity of the fair. It's a good quote. Mm-hmm. I like it. Good choice. That's my last quote. Go ahead with yours. Okay. Mine, I don't, let me see if I can find it exactly. Here we go. The Chicago Times Herald took the broad view and said of Holmes, he is a prodigy of wickedness, a human demon, a being so unthinkable that no novelist would dare to invent such a character. The story, too, tends to illustrate the end of the century. And I wrote, this quote reminds me of Ted Bundy's whole extremely wicked nonsense. Like, the whole, like, shockingly evil and vile. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. That quote, even the quote, the way they were described, really, like, reminded me of him, of Bundy. I just realized I have another quote, but I'm trying to find where it is. I have the page. Sorry, give me a second. So this is Holmes asking about... So this is Holmes. This is after he's caught, obviously. Asking about if he always planned to kill Peitzel or, like, what happened. And he says, Mm -hmm. quote, 
It will be understood that from the first hour of our acquaintance, even before I knew he, Peitzel, had a family, mm-hmm. so would later afford me additional victims for the gratification of my bloodthirstiness. I always intended to kill him. So it's not only wow. that he had a first-hand man and was like, hey, you actually have a lot of people I could kill. Thanks, LOL. He was like, I intend to kill you. Also, I'm going to trust you for 20 years first. Well, and he, it's like, I intend to kill you, but I'm going to let you have a family so I can kill them first. I can which, kill them too. Right, which... And I think we have the we have the most detail on Peitzel's family because of the investigation. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't we we there's no way it's to what know. Holmes was actually put to death for was for yes. his murder of Peitzel and his kids. Right. And I think it's I think the reason he was put to death for is because they found the bodies and everyone else he burned. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Not everyone else, but every like most of the other most, ones he yeah. burned because most. some of them he like made money off of. Some of them he was like, all right, I'm going to clean these bones, and then I'm going to give them bones, the bones to the... Yeah, he's the university. The hospital. Which is, like, yeah. super smart and mm-hmm. terrible and mm-hmm. smart. <laughs> yes, all of the above. Yeah. All right, that's Quotes Corner. Good with Quotes Corner? Good you with wanna, Quotes Corner. I'm good. Move on? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, my first note is on page five. Shredded wheat, Cracker Jack, and so many other references... This was probably, like, when they were first introducing the, um, I'm just gonna assume that I have the most notes. And then, you like, do. My first note's not till 47, so go for it. You're gonna okay. lead this conversation. Okay. So, page five, um, they, like, are talking about everything that came into, that, like, happened at the World's Fair. Um, I'm like... Page five, that's not even at part one. I know. It's, like, in the <laughs> prologue or whatever. Got it. Okay. But, like, talking about the people that were there, Buffalo Bill, Theodore Dreiser, Susan B. Anthony, Jane Adams, Clarence Darrow, George Westinghouse, Thomas Edison, Henry Adams, Archduke Francis Ferdinand, Nikola Tesla, Ignaz Paderewski, Philip Armour, and Marshall Field gathered in one place at one time. Oh, there was, I-, I have to say, it was really interesting to see, like, the people who were alive at the same time because like for me it's really hard to keep history right it's really hard like history is hard for me to think of in like like you learn american history and then you learn european history but you don't think about the people who are contemporaries people who like things that happen at the same time you don't right you don't think about them at the same that one of the the same context mind blowers was that martin luther king and anne frank were the same age what Right. That's how I felt reading this book. I was like, all of these people are alive at the same time doing the same things? It's because we, we learn their stories in different facets at different times, and we don't put the years together. Mm-hmm. Well, it's and then like, it's like, this had, um, like, Elias Disney. So, um, like, Walt Disney's dad yes. worked mm-hmm. as part of the construction crew on the World's Fair. And so that, like, informed like Disney hearing stories from his dad about the World's Fair informed his design of Magic Kingdom and the original Disneyland and like the fact that like there's a Ferris wheel at Disney in Disneyland you know like and there's like the big castle with the fireworks you can't tell mm -hmm. me that that's not from the World's Fair because they had the the giant freaking Pledge of Allegiance was written for the World's Fair I had no idea I didn't either I didn't either 
I agreed with you though. On page two eighty six, I said when Susan B. Ant or no, um, sorry, page two eighty five. There are so many historical names in attendance at this fair, and then I listed all the ones you just listed, and I was like, mm -hmm. it's just incredible the people coming into this thing. I had no idea they all lived at the same time. It's truly mm -hmm. a timestamp of American history and a triumph for Chicago. Yeah, it really was. I have a note on fourteen. Cool story about the the origin of the nickname, the Windy City. Um. Because Chicago is known as the Windy City. This is like when Chicago first won the bid to host the World's Fair. Mm -hmm. And how success today would dispel at last the Eastern perception that Chicago was nothing more than a greedy, hog-slaughtering backwater. Failure would bring humiliation from which the city would not soon recover, given how heartily its lead leading men had boasted that Chicago would prevail. It was this big talk, not the persistent southwesterly breeze, that had prompted New York editor Charles Anderson Dana to nickname Chicago the Windy City. So it's, like, the fact that, like, Chicago was, like, we can do it. We can handle this. We can, like, represent America well. Mm -hmm. And that's how they got the name the Windy City, not, like, because of how windy the city is. Which I would say most <sighs> people don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. Page 23, I just wrote, hey, a poetry connection, which makes me think it was probably Edna St. Vincent Millay. Yes. Who was she pops one up of a yours. lot. Yeah. It was one of my she first She does. Ones. Um, she, and she's got a very recognizable name where it's like, she, I don't, I don't, uh... She's in a lot of the New York Times crosswords at least once a week. Yeah. Yeah, Malay. Although, I think this one is more about the fact that, what's her name, Harriet Monroe, um, the, the woman who was in love with Root, but, like, never married Root. Oh, yeah. Um, eventually founded Poetry Magazine, which I believe is now published by the Poetry Foundation. So, oh, I didn't know that. Um, although I'm not 100% sure, so that I could be wrong about that. Don't hate me if I'm wrong. I just realized I have another quote. Oh, you do? Where? Page 207, but I can wait until we get there. Okay, I have a lot of notes before then. <laughs> yeah, I figured. I'm very surprised that you don't have any notes about the club that takes place with, like, the... Like, the pub with the coffin bar and, like, I I, I really want to go there. I just didn't. I don't know what it was about this book. What, maybe I just couldn't get into it or I just am so jaded with my research that I don't care anymore. But listen to this. Listen to this. It says, a coffin at the center of the room served as a bar. The light was dim and came from gas jets hidden behind skulls on... Skulls mounted on the walls. Other skulls lay scattered about the room. A hangman's noose dangled from the wall, as did assorted weapons and a blanket caked with blood. These artifacts marked the room as headquarters of the Whitechapel Club, named for the London slum in which two years earlier Jack the Ripper had done his killing. The club! The club! Yeah, I don't I know. Obviously, I obviously want to be buried at that club. It goes without saying. <laughs> I, I literally wrote in all caps, this club, Jackie, this club. I just spilled wine everywhere. <laughs> I can't. Oh, my God. Like, um, I would like to note that H.H. H. Holmes' name was originally Herman Webster Mudgett because that's a terrible fucking name. Yeah, good um, thing he changed it. Fuck you. Yeah. Um, When he murdered his first, the first lady... <gasps> Mrs. On Holton. Page 39. I have a note on 
47. It just says, big oof. Inglewood, I hate to break it to you, but Mrs. Holton is dead. Well, I put on page 47, so H.H. Holmes has murdered at least three people so far. So, mm-hmm. on page 40. His first kill was, like, his 12-year-old friend who he pushed off the cliff. Like, you've been oh, bad yeah. forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was, it, was think... he, like, the first psychopath? That was the first. Like, the mm-hmm. first diagnosed psychopath? That was he ever diagnosed a psychopath? I don't know that he was, but like clearly he was, right? I mean, I don't know. I I think he is, but I I'm not gonna read one book and say he definitely is. I'd want to look at other articles first, but mm-hmm. I would say he might be the first diagnosable psychopath serial killer, but he's not the first psychopath. Right. We won't know without detailed records, but I I think H.H. H. Holmes is one of the most recognizable, like, the first recognizable name that's like, yeah, he was probably a psychopath. Yeah, it's Jack the Ripper, and it's H.H. H. Holmes, and yeah. those are the two back-to-pack serial killers that are like, what the fuck, man? Like, I think you- they really changed the face of, like, like, people understanding what humans are capable of. You know what I'm saying? It's true. Especially because, I mean, Jack the Ripper was not only murderous, but a a vicious, violent, literally ripping people apart murder. And H.H. Holmes was like, I will deceit you with charm. That's unheard of. You think of murder, it's like, oh, boom, I shoot you in the face. That's Mm -hmm. not what this was back in 1870. They even even say at one point in the book where it's like they can't fathom the idea of someone killing a child without a motive. And And it's like... It's incredible. Because we have documentation of this. It's almost like the first wave of, like... You know how, like, the 80s taught everyone, like, to lock your doors and, like, don't be a latchkey kid and, like, don't leave your children at home, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, this was the first wave of that, where people were like, oh, you can kill someone without having a reason? Right. It's like, (laughs) oh, she didn't cheat on you? Interesting. Mm -hmm. Why are you killing her then? Right. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to know how, I, I just want to talk about how, how Holmes would just, like, take people's babies. <laughs> I have a note on 66 that says he just, dot, 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 took people's babies with, like, four question marks. Honestly, it is hard to keep track of who he killed. I should have made a spreadsheet. I'm disappointed in myself. Um, this literally says, <laughs> he was remarkably fond of children. Often when we were traveling and there happened to be a baby in the car, he would go, he would say, go and see if they won't lend you that baby a little while. And when I brought it to him, he would play with it, forgetting everything else until its mother called for it or I could see that she wanted it. He has often taken babies that were crying from their mothers and it would hardly be any time until he had them sound asleep or playing as happily as little ones can. And she took people's babies. He was like, oh, that kid's crying. Let me just help out here. It reminds me of Michael Scott, who was like, I try to hold a baby every day if I can. But not in a, not in a malicious <laughs> not in a malicious way. In like a, they give me life kind of way. I can't believe you just compared AJ Holmes to Michael Scott. <laughs> not that they're the same, just that that was a quote that came out of his mouth. I don't know. Maybe his character was based off, like, a good version of H.H. H. Holmes. Like, definitely oh a fucking weirdo, but not dangerous. 
I have page 93. I think this was when Holmes was, like, first into the first lady who was already married. Okay. Um, Minnie? What's her name? Not Minnie. Um, Hold on, I have a, I have a whole character list. Um, Ju- Julia yeah. Smith? That the tall one came equipped with a husband and daughter made the situation infinitely more appealing. Yeah, so at this um, time he already has, like, his hotel or his pharmacy. So people are coming to work. Like, young women yeah. came to Chicago to, like, have a fancier, more flamboyant, fun life. I have, I have about 226. Oh, no, I lied. 207 still. Nope. I still have. I called that Root was going to die, like, ten pages ahead of time. No, that's not true. Um, I don't know when Root died, but I called that Root was going to die. Um, and then I said on page 119, I never thought I'd read so much about landscaping. The history, I found the history of electricity, like, interesting. The fact that, like, they, the World's Fair is why they moved from DC to AC, like, direct current to alternating current. Like, that's largely the reason and the change of popularity. I'm glad you found that interesting. I couldn't give less of a shit. I, is, I that was like one of the I things no that I was like I think I came out of the room at, the, at one point and was like did you know the world's fair is why they changed to AC <laughs> so like I um, didn't start getting into the history until like the Ferris wheel was already up <laughs> I have a note on page 191 that says I fell asleep on this page seemed worth noting <laughs> what were you talking about it's about the foot on the inside of the door. She wasn't a... I don't think she was a wife. You fell asleep during that part? That was integral to his arrest. It was, like, 2 a.m. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, she, like... She, like... So, this was when H.H. H. Holmes was putting her... She had already, like, gassed her and was gonna burn her body. And she, I guess, like, the heat was so strong that when she fought, her footprint melded into... Like, as a mold into the metal and was there he forever. Didn't, he didn't burn her. She was gassed to death. That's not the same thing as burning her. Like he I thought just, she was gassed and then burned. Maybe, but the, the footprint was on the inside of, like, the the vault where he gassed her, not where he burned her. He does propose to her. I don't think they ever get officially married, though. Mm, okay. Yeah, just seemed worth noting. Where was your next note? 207. Okay, you go. Quote, by far, this is for the World's Fair when they're, like, bringing in populations. Mm-hmm. By far, the most exotic cargo was human. Alleged cannibals. And my quote is, okay, what's the plan? Are they going to have a display of people eating people? Do they give them a, <laughs> do they give them a booth? Like, the do you want to talk about Jesus booth? Are they just going to walk around without any, like, as filler <laughs> people? I don't know what the plan is for all of these populations of people. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't... They were in the midway. They were, like, the... You know, like, when you go to a fair now, and it's, like, carnival games, and that's, like, the midway? Yeah. Their midway was, like, exhibits of people. (laughs) And even if it was, are these cannibals just gonna sit there and eat human flesh? That is a good question. Holmes probably could have helped with that. Mm-hmm. True. Um, I have a note on 208. 
Go ahead. Oh my god. This is about that the song that was written. Oh my god, hang on. I thought this was an interesting addition to the book because it's written in like it's notated as if like on a staff. Like it's music literally yeah. printed into the book. Mm-hmm. And if you can't read music, you don't know what it is. Really. But it's the like that theme that was like it's so pervasive in pop culture in terms of like anything that is like um like mid uh middle eastern at all like even vaguely probably includes that tune Mm -hmm. and it was just like plucked out on a piano randomly for the world's fair like he didn't write it i think most people re- would recognize it from that one kesha song like there's a right, place there's a place i know yeah. yeah read this book um, people but i just thought it was cool that like that was written for the world's fair but just like randomly plucked out on a piano yeah um, that i did not know so that was cool because they just didn't have any other music to play let's see i have one on 211 Mm. This is about Adelaide Hollingsworth, um, her cookbook. Yeah. The oh, Columbia that, a, Cookbook. Yeah. Where she says, it says, although her book did include compelling recipes for scrapple, ox cheek, and baked calf's head, and tips for the preparation of raccoon, possum, snipe, plovers, and blackbirds for blackbird pie, and how to broil, fricassee, stew, or fry a squirrel, it was much more than just a cookbook. Hollingsworth built it as an overall guide to helping modern young housewives create a peaceful, optimistic, and sanitary household. The wife was to set the tenor of the day. The breakfast table should not be a bulletin board for the curing of horrible dreams and depressing symptoms, but the place where a bright keynote of the day is struck. In places Hollingsworth's advice revealed, by refraction, a certain Victorian raciness. In a segment on how to best wash silk underwear, she advised, if the article is black, add a little ammonia instead of acid to the rinsing water. Um, One of the most persistent problems of the day was offensive feet, caused by the prevailing habit of washing feet only once a week. First off, ew. To combat this, Hollingsworth wrote, take one part muriatic acid to ten parts of water, rub the feet every night with this mixture before retiring to bed. To rid your mouth of the odor of onions, drink strong coffee. Oysters made the best rat bait. To induce cream to whip, add a grain of salt. To keep milk sweet longer, add horseradish. Hollingsworth offered sage medical advice. Don't sit between a fever patient and a fire. And provided various techniques for dealing with medical emergencies such as accidental poisoning. Among a list of measures effective for inducing vomiting, she included injections of tobacco into the anus through a pipe stem. I know. Wild, right? Which doesn't work. I just wrote, what a woman. What a book. (laughs) What a book. What a woman. What a book. Oh my god. I can't. I can't. Um, Page 230, I wrote, it's a miracle that Olmstead isn't dead yet. True. Olmstead was like, what, their landscape guy? Um, Hold on, I have it written down. Olmstead, landscape architect in charge... Of the World's Fair landscape, also the designer of New York City Central Park. But he, like, him and Burnham had, like, they butted heads a lot, right? Like, Olmstead wanted, like, the flash and flair, and Burnham was like, it should be clean and crisp and wow. 
Olmstead was annoying, though. Yes. I didn't like Olmstead. Oh, Correct. here's a question. It must have... Okay, so I have a note on page 260. It says, must have been thrilling to see a Ferris wheel for the first time. Do you think we will ever have anything new and revolutionary on that scale again? Yes. I think it's the iPhone. It, it's, like, not the same style. It, you know what I mean? But it's so mm. commonplace mm -hmm. and so used and so expensive relative to the size of the electronic device that I think that that is my answer. The iPhone. The iPhone. That's really interesting. Because, like, you could argue that the car was revolutionary like that, too. Oh, yeah. That makes more sense than the goddamn iPhone. No, I mean... I would say they would both be, because they both triggered really big changes in lifestyle. That's what it is. But but did the Ferris wheel really change lifestyle, or was it like a cool, fun exhibit? I don't know. Do you think anybody will ever come up with like a floating building? Well, Wonderworks does the upside down buildings. Yeah, but like, they're not really upside down. Right. My answer, my short answer is yes. Don't ask me how, because I don't <laughs> know. But I think I'd be naive to say no. Mm. But I don't know why I would say yes, if that makes sense. Fair. There's not really a way to anticipate that kind of scale, you know? Right. If it's going to be revolutionary, you're not going to see it coming. Right. So I don't know. But Interesting. I think we have the technology. It's just like, what's the point... Is it worth it, and how much money will it make? Those are the mm. three big questions. Interesting. How much of this book do you think was, like, imagined? Very little. Because I have a note on page 285 that's like, this is one of those weird cases where you're like, oh, I don't know, sorry, 296. I'm curious how Larson came up on came upon Anna's inner thoughts before she died. Where it's like he's talking about, like, what this girl felt before she died, but, like, mm -hmm. how do you know what she felt before she died? Because she, she was one of the people that was locked in the safe. Like, locked in the in the airtight room, and, like, and Holmes gassed her. I would imagine he... I feel like he'd be the author to do his due diligence and talk to people who have almost suffocated to see their accounts and then attributed those characteristics to this story okay so although it's not we will never know i would imagine that everything he says is 90 percent accurate he doesn't seem like the kind of author who would just willy-nilly make things dramatic fair i have a note on 226 this is what the fifth storm do you think they accounted for storm activity when deciding on the location because the reason i like they seemed to open late. I mean, they opened on the dedication day, but the Ferris wheel wasn't ready. And I have to imagine it's because the storms really brought their timeline back. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. if they accounted for storm activity when they were bidding on the location. That's a good question. I doubt they did. I, but I, I mean, also doubt. But, like, is why? There, is there any, like, do we have history of, like, the storms in New York at that time, though? Because, like... There's no guarantee that New York would have been would have done any better, you know. I don't know what the weather forecast and like monitoring looked like back then, but maybe not even New York. What about somewhere out west or in the middle of the country? But like nobody out west. Wait, where is St. Louis? Missouri. That's not out west, is it? 
It's pretty central. Missouri is pretty central. It's by, well, it's like But you'd north. probably it's have tornadoes. Illinois. Yeah, but that's true. But like, is one tornado worse than five bad rainstorms? I don't know. It just seems like the rainstorms were so bad that it set them back months. And to have that five times is fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's not like weather... You can't really predict weather like that. I mean, not at that point in time. You know what I'm saying? Like, now we can be like, we're gonna have a bad hurricane season. But, like, that's mostly just, like, conjecture. And it's, like, it's educated conjecture. But it's not... Yeah, I don't know what the weather forecast looked like in 1870. Right. So, they might not have known how to predict that stuff. So, they probably wouldn't have been able to incorporate that into their decision making. Plus, it was Congress deciding. It's not like Congress is going to be like, well, what's the weather like there? You know? That's fair. I just feel like that was such a... And if, if they were so nonchalant to dismiss it, that's such a big oversight. Yeah. That's true. My What's next, next? Um, page uh, 303. Go ahead. Attendance was among the best it's been the day of the fire. So this is what? What building caught on fire again? I don't remember. I don't know the name of it, but I can look it up. I can. What is A it? building caught on fire. Like bad fire. Like people died. And yeah. it was at that day that the... Um, attendance was among the highest like the 100,000s which is what they needed to make money on the world's fair they spent millions of dollars on it and I just I think it's interesting that the day of and the day after the fire was among the highest in attendance and I think that speaks to what we were talking about earlier about how something is so bad like a car crash you just can't look away and it's like people Mm -hmm. wanted to be where the huge monumental fire was and that speaks a little bit about humanity's awe with horror you can't which okay so we talked about like the whole bad car accident thing in the other episode but um because we were talking about twilight right um but yes like so you guys will actually hear that reference next week but um i also have a note on that page i i was gonna skip over because I didn't remember what it was about, but it just says morbid curiosity is irresistible. And it's, it's like, true. it really is. You can't, and, and I took a whole class on, like, horror movies and, like, the fact that, like, humans are almost inexplicably drawn to stories about the horrible things that can happen to them. Right. And I wonder if it's, like, part of me wonders if do we want to know what that would be like so that we can avoid it? Or is it like, do we just need to arm ourselves with as much information as we can? Or, you I don't know, think it's what? either. I think it's, this is something I've never seen before. It's new. It's shiny. I want to know. Hmm. I think it's just new. That's why people, you know, they buy the newest technology. They watch the newest movie. They read the latest book. It's new. It's exciting. Because we're in the age of information. We, when we want to know things, we know it now. Instant gratification immediately. So when things are new, we want mm-hmm. to know about it. And that includes the morbid. Interesting. That's my take on it, at least. That's why. Well, that's part of the reason why I like all of that horror and grossness. 
I like the other reason is because I think it's fascinating, and I like to think of the psychology and the science behind it. But more so is that it's fucking new and weird and different than I am. People like to know things that are different. So it makes sense, then, to loop it back, that the fire would have the biggest attendance. Yes. It's wild, it's new, it's different. My next note is on page 330, and it involves Prendergast. I have 319. The fact that they hit over a quarter, or over three quarters of a million people in the fair on one day is absolutely ridiculous to me. Can you imagine 751,026 people in one place? I truly can't. And COVID-19 days, that would just be a big no-no. I'm afraid that people who haven't read this or who don't know about the World's Fair are thinking about this like a county fair. This thing was massive. There were multiple, Mm -hmm. multiple story buildings. There were like nine huge buildings on top of like rows and rows of land and water. I mean, you couldn't, some people came back twice to see the whole thing. Like that's how big it was. It's like they built a whole city. Yes. To just bring the whole world together. They were like, we're going to build a city and the whole world is going to have a say in it. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And so for that many people to be there, that's it, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's just ridiculous. Um, okay, what was your next number? Page number? 330. Go ahead. Um, so this is after Prendergast shoots Mayor Harrison. So he's already gone through, like, his shit. So basically, Prendergast is just, like, this fucking nobody. And in his mind, he helped mayor harrison be reelected. so in his mind he's like he's gonna offer me like i helped him and he's gonna offer me a job and this is just all happening in his head like none of this ever actually happened and because he was never like he showed up at um city hall and was like i'm here for my job that i was promised and the guys were like what the fuck are you talking about and, and they made fun mind, of him yeah they laughed at him and his and in, in his mind harrison like took the job away from him so we went to harrison's house and fucking shot him and i put there was definitely some mental illness going on did harrison ever really promise him a job the answer is no what do you think was wrong with prendergast oh god i don't know enough about mental illness to be able to diagnose him neither um, do i but there we can agree that it's more than a common delusion? It's not just that he misunderstood things. It's not just that he, like, misconstrued social cues. I think he was actually mentally ill and believed, like, was was having delusions. Like, um, a break from reality where he was experiencing something completely different than what everyone else was experiencing you know that sounds yeah i i concur and i think the reason you can you can assume that is because he sends postcards or something to someone who's not the mayor yeah it's, i, I want to say it's like the uh, he's a lawyer um and i didn't take any notes about that but the fact that, like, this lawyer kept the postcards from this, from Prendergast and was, like, this is, you know, he, evidence that he was not in his right mind. Mm -hmm. 
because it's just ramblings. It's like, it's not, it's nothing it was, that would make sense on, on an intellectual level. Right. It was very heavy in scripture, but not the scripture that made sense to what he was talking about, which is why it seemed weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was not in his right mind, and Larson's in- inclusion of him in the story is wild and notable. The murder castle gets burned down. How much evidence do you think went with it, and what do you think they could have done with that evidence? Most of the evidence went down with it, but even if they did have the evidence, I don't think that they could do a lot with it. I mean, think about police jurisdictions and technology back then. The reason he was so successful is because nobody gave a shit. There was no DNA. There was no missing persons database. People disappeared from Chicago and nobody cared because it was a big bustling city and they probably got swept up with the drug dealers. I I think he would have adapted I think H.H. Holmes would have adapted his ways if he was more active in, like, this century. Mm -hmm. But, yes, maybe maybe a lot of evidence went down, but I don't think that a lot would have happened with that evidence anyway. Interesting. What do you think? I think you're right. No, I think you're right, because I think it probably took a lot of evidence of, like, the people he killed but it's nothing they would have been able to identify because of the technology um limitations like like i said i've been i watched the alienist about the same time i was reading this i watched newsies about the same time i was reading this that all takes place around the same time and the alienist in particular provides a lot of insight into that because the alienist is like the beginnings of criminal profiling um, and how like fingerprinting isn't even really widely accepted at that point and um, there's a lot of things that are like it just it doesn't they don't have the technology they don't have the knowledge to know whereas like if it happened now and his castle burned down like we would lose all of the evidence we might have been able to identify all of his victims but like Mm -hmm in the late 1800s there's no way they would have really been been able to identify all those people right and i was talking to solomon about this um because one of my questions one of i don't i think he asked it of me maybe was like would he have gotten away with as much as he did in today's times and my answer is that yes because he would have learned how to do it in today's times Uh um i think he wouldn't have gotten away with as many but it would be to a higher degree of intelligence and conniving bastardy. I, you know, I, I think his sheer number was because of the time, but I think that it would have been even more conniving in this time because he would have had to have maneuvered a, a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I have to say, as frustrating as the book was, I thought that Eric Larson did a really good job of tying everything together at the end. It's true, and, like, I I agree with Jason's synopsis on Goodreads that it was, like, two books in one, but I understood why Eric included both, and it kind of worked. Mm Mm-hmm. Because Mm -hmm. I'm sure 
that H.H. H. Holmes had a lot of his victims because of the World's Fair, so it would be, it would be negligent to not include them in the same timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a note on page 360... No, 357. Okay, go ahead. This is when they found the... Peitzel, Peitzel's kids. So this is after he killed Peitzel and his right-hand man, and his kids have gone missing. So at this time, he's, like, on a fake-ass road trip with them. Mm-hmm. And the poor daughter is writing to her mother about, like, the grand old time she's having. And this is after that they the kids have been killed. And it says, um, quote, Her feet had been amputated. She was club-footed, and Holmes had disposed of her feet to remove this distinctive clue to her identity. And I wrote that this just demonstrates his careful planning and attention to detail, ensuring his success. Like, this goes back to him not really having an M.O. He gassed people, he suffocated people, he he burned people, he buried people, he cut off people's feet. Not Nothing was off-bounds and nothing was similar. Right. But he did take the time to remove an identifying feature of Peitzel's kid, and that is just one part of how fucking dangerous this guy is. Yeah. My next thing is on page 366. You go, girl. I'm out. I'm out of stuff. Okay, so it's on the same note as burning down the uh, castle. Mm Mm-hmm. Who burned down the castle? Who do you think? We don't know, but who do you oh, think God. burned down the castle? Because it wasn't Holmes. He wasn't in the area, so it had to be one of his henchmen, but it wasn't Peitzel, because at that time, Peitzel, Peitzel was, was dead. dead. So who the fuck burned down his murder dungeon? You think someone did it on... Well, obviously someone did it on purpose, but, like, you think it was... Maybe it was just a sympathizer. Do you That's think my... it was done on purpose, or maybe it's a giant coincidence? I bet it was done on purpose, but I don't think it was done by somebody. If it was done by somebody that Holmes was connected to, I don't know who they were. But I would say that it was likely done with a Holmes sympathizer. So people knew about him. I think it's pretty safe to say that he was kind of famous in his time. Hmm. Because, again, the alienist, in the book The Alienist... Um, the main character is an, is named John Moore, Mm -hmm. and John lives with his grandmother, and his grandmother is very freaked out by the trial of H.H. Holmes, and believes that H.H. Holmes is the devil, and that, like, he could come back and kill anybody he wanted at any time, and, like, and it freaks her out until he's put to death. And so, like, that is an indicator to me that it was, like, obviously that's another fictional book, but, like, I think it's it's historically accurate in that, like, people would have known about Holmes. Like, people knew about Peitzel's children. They knew about that search for the children. It was widely publicized in the, in this, in the newspapers. And so when they found out, when they found the children, that was widely publicized, and you know it was put in the papers because Holmes was reading the papers. Holmes was getting them illegally in the in the prisons. So, like, if he was being written about in the papers and he could read about himself in the papers, other people were reading it, too. And it's just like any other 
internet battle we have today where it's like there's people who are like this person's right and they have every right to be upset and then it's like there's people who are like no you deserve everything that's coming your way you know like I bet it was someone who read the newspapers and was like Holmes didn't do anything bad and you guys should leave him alone and I'm gonna burn everything down so you know there's Mm -hmm. nothing in here you know there's nothing in here that could incriminate him you know I wonder if we'll, I mean, I don't think we will ever know, but uh, I don't know. I do know that there's a couple theories that H.H. Holmes was actually let go by one of the guards and they murdered a rando in his place. Like, they hanged Ooh. another person in his place. Really? It's just, it's just rumors. But his descendants live in, like, Oklahoma or Delaware, and... They're, like, DNA testing the body that was thought to be H.H. H. Holmes when he was hanged to see if it really was him. Ooh, like, maybe he didn't die? Right, like, at that time, at least. So maybe he escaped and burned his own death? I don't know. It's just rumors and nothing has... I tried to do some follow-ups and there has been no information. Interesting. But I do know that... I agree that it must have been an H.H. Holmes sympathizer, but there is a a police report that two people entered the castle the night it was burned. So it might have been a duo. Again, Hmm. nobody knows who it was. But again, that was at the time, so it may be different. I don't know. But that is just what is thought to have been true. Hmm. I have, like, two more things. One is a quick note that I had no idea how long it took to build a building. I feel like I was like, okay, so build a couple buildings in two years. Fuck off. But then Solomon, like, explained to me why things take so long to be built. And it's a bunch of, like, red tape and sellers and donors and lunches and blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And I just, my, my sense of construction time was totally fucking wrong. <laughs> my second thing is that throughout the, the, I almost said movie. I'm drunk at this point. Throughout the book. <laughs> It seems that a common thread in identifying a body is only through the teeth. I was not aware of this practice. And my question is, yeah. You've never heard of dental records? No, no. I knew dental records, but I didn't know that that was the primary way at that time. I knew it was a way. I didn't know it was the only way. I didn't know that it was the only way either, to be fair. But, I mean, I think it's pretty, like... Your teeth are very distinctive. Like, I would probably be able to identify your teeth. You? Like, if I do this, you'll be able to see? Mm-hmm. Because my question is, do you think you'd be able to identify a loved one by just their teeth? Because they, like, put a, a, a cloth over their eyes and uh-huh. over the rest of their body, and all you saw was their mouth. And you think you'd be able to identify me? Yeah, I could identify you. I could That's identify incredible. Adam. I could I identify I my could dad. I could identify my mom. I don't yeah. think I could do that. That's interesting. I don't know. Maybe that's just, like, do I have an oral oral fixation? Like, I don't know. But, like, I would definitely be able to... Adam and I have had this discussion before, actually, about, like, if you had to pick one body part of mine to identify me by, what would you pick? And, like, I could identify Adam by, like, almost any part of his body. Like... Mine would be the chest. With my chest, you could see three tattoos. Yeah, no, you could see two tattoos. Your chest Honestly, or your torso? 
Just look for my tattoos. That's how you'll know me. Eh. But like my teeth. What if you don't have skin? That's the thing. Bones, like your teeth are bones. Your teeth are going to stay even if you've been in decomp for a while. I think that Solomon would be able to identify me by my teeth because I have a stain on one of my teeth for my braces. Uh But I don't think I'd be able to identify him. He has perfect white teeth. There's nothing abnormal. Like if you were to Google Crest commercial, that's his teeth. There's no way to know. There's no identifying. There's gonna, there's, but the thing is, it's gonna be his, like, the shape of his teeth. Like, the shape of his teeth are gonna be different. Okay, so what I wanna do is, all of our friends send in a picture of our teeth. (laughs) I'm gonna rearrange them and we're gonna see who can identify what. I'm gonna win that game. I, I believe you. I am, maybe I'm underestimating underestimating my abilities. I just, I don't think I'd be able to do that. Yeah. I think like, I could recognize my own teeth. And maybe yours. Because I know the shape of yours. Here, I'll give you a hint. Thank you. Oh my god. So they're very round. Mine are much more square. Yeah. Yeah. So with yeah. this episode, we'll post a picture of our teeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. I, I have no other things. My only question was... Um, one we already talked about, so I have nothing else. I don't think I do either. This was a um, lot. I mean, it was a was heavy, a it was a lot of book. I mean, it's only uh, 300 and something pages, which, okay, if you read it's like almost 400. Day, it's, it's almost 400. It's That's heavy. what I, so when I hit a certain point, I was like, okay, we're going to record this weekend. I'm going to re- read 100 pages a day and I'll get there in time. I couldn't do it. I couldn't fucking do it. It's hard to read 50 pages a day with this book. I, I stuck to about four chapters a day over a yeah. month. Yeah, I couldn't, I, it took me like six weeks to read this book at least. It's a, it's a good book. It's a long book. Read it if you're up to it. Read it. I wouldn't say if. I would say read it when you are up to it because you should read this book. It's an interesting book. You learn a lot and I think it's worth reading, but it definitely is a time commitment. Yes. So. But read now's it. the time. Now's the time. You've got lots of free time. You're at home. You're you're just doing virtual shit all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm drunk, too. <laughs> so let's close this off. Yeah. We are on... Well, okay, next episode will be some poetry, and we will release our April book, so tune in. It will be a nostalgic middle school book that I promise yes. you've read. So tune yes. in to see what it will be. It's in the fantasy genre. Yes. And we are on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, but not, not LinkedIn. LinkedIn. And we hope you're being safe and... I'm going to go eat some Chick-fil-A and Chrissy is going to talk to the gays. So we will see you next time. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. I'm going to chug this wine. (laughs) Not really, but like... I need to finish this glass because it's the same glass I've been working on since we did the poetry and Uh, I need to just finish this glass. It's true.